If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a superstar, plain and simple. Cheryl Richardson is the New York Times bestselling author of several books, including Take Time for Your Life, Life Makeovers, Stand Up for Your Life, The Art of Extreme Self-Care, and many more, including her recent book, Waking Up in Winter in Search of What Really Matters at Midlife. She was the first president of the International Coach Federation. Her work's been covered widely in the media, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, CBS, the New York Times, USA Today, and O Magazine. The list goes on and on. She was the team leader on the Oprah Winfrey Show. She's a co-producer and hosted her own television shows on the Oxygen Network and public television specials. Oh, my goodness. Wow, wow, wow. Cheryl, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to the show, and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Oh, thank you, Susan. It's really wonderful to be here with you. And I love the idea of supporting authors. <laughs> yes, as one yourself many times over, you know, you certainly know what it takes to market books. And however, the subject of your books is something that I think is really important to us as marketers, as entrepreneurs or authorpreneurs, as many of us are known. We spend so much time as a one-person operation, and if they're anything like me, you know, I'm my own toughest boss. <laughs> uh, so for the workaholics amongst us, what lessons do we need to learn about the importance of self-care? Mm -hmm. Well, it brings me all the way back to my original training as a coach. I had been a one-woman shop prior to that already. I had been working as a consultant. And when I hired my first coach, he said to me, you know, you need to practice extreme self-care. You know, your whole life is out of balance. You spend so much time taking care of everybody else and not taking care of yourself. He said, I promise you, if you make the practice of extreme self-care your number one priority, your business will take care of itself. And of course, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> but for the next year, I really focused. I mean, I ran my business and focused on growing my business. But I also focused on things like making sure I took regular time off and making sure that I was taking good care of my finances. And doing things like eliminating clutter from my life so that I liked where I lived and I liked where I worked, you know, both in my office and in my home. Um, really reassessing my relationships. A lot of this is what I covered in Take Time for Your Life, my very first book. And I remember, Susan, when I was really focused on my self-care in a very deliberate way over the first year of building my coaching practice in my business, you know, I saw colleagues seemingly succeeding in their companies and making more money and getting ahead and 
you know, there was a voice in my head that kept saying, this is crazy. You need to push, push, push and, you know, work harder and this self-care stuff. You don't have time for that. But fortunately I had a coach and I met with him every week and he kept me on track. And I will tell you that within probably three months of taking better care of myself, not only did my business start to increase, but the kinds of people that were drawn to me were higher quality clients with projects and ideas and goals that were really interesting and exciting. And so the proof was in the pudding as far as I was concerned, and it worked. And so that really played a pivotal role in my decision to make self-care a focus of my work over time. And so it is really important. Sometimes the harder we work, the harder we are on ourselves, the more we push ourselves, the less attractive we become. And I know you know this, Susan, I'm not talking about physical attraction, really. I'm talking about energetically. People can smell exhaustion or desperation or distraction a mile away. And when we take good care of ourselves, we're more present for people. We have a better book writing experience. We have a better book marketing experience. We just present ourselves in a calm, centered, peaceful way And people are naturally attracted to that, and they want to know more about who we are and what we're doing. It's sort of like, I want what she has. So it's that Mm -hmm. sort of behavior and that thinking. And you're absolutely right. You know, when desperation, I know immediately over the phone, the sound of somebody's voice, if they sound desperate and if they're tired, if they've lacked the passion for what they're doing, And I'm sure passion has a lot to do with, you know, having a business that's successful as well. Well, and I can give you a really great example of that. Just not that long ago, probably two months ago, I was giving a speech somewhere. You know, I arrived early, about half an hour early. And this woman came up to me, professional woman, self-employed and a writer. She had just finished writing a book. She came rushing up to me and she was breathless. And, you know, she was saying to me, I really wanted to meet you. I wanted to tell you about my book. And I was present for her. I thought, okay, you know, this is what I do. And I'm very interested in meeting her and learning about her book. But she started to just, she was talking so fast, I couldn't understand her. She was really trying to get me to get this, like just her whole approach. Had I not been about to give a speech, I probably would have taken her aside, sat her down and had a conversation about how energetically Everything about her was saying, no, don't come near me. I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle what I already have, let alone anything else. And I'm not representing myself well. And so why would I want to represent somebody who isn't representing themselves well? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just remember thinking to myself, okay, this woman is completely overwhelmed and kind of out of it here. And All I wanted to do was just get away because I knew I had to give a speech in 20 minutes. And I remember thinking, because I am a coach, you know, this poor dear, if somebody doesn't give her that honest feedback, she's going to go out into the world with this kind of energy. Hmm. People are going to just want to get away from her. And she's going to make that mean things like, oh, my book isn't good enough, or I'm not good enough, or I've done something wrong. Because, you know, we all have this vicious inner critic in our heads. When in fact, it's just really, she needs a good dose of self-care. And she needs somebody to say, stop, take a deep breath. Let's take a step back. Your book is only one part of your whole life. Let's look at what's going on in your whole life here so that you can 
actually be centered in where you are right now. And that's such an important part. And you said earlier the fact that you learned to take regular time for yourself, the clutter, the financial aspect, I'm sure the spiritual aspect as well. And so having that as a whole for ourselves is so important. Mm. How about really some specifics, let's say, of what we can do to take care of ourselves? Well, I can tell you that as somebody who's you know talked to thousands of people, lots and lots of people, most people have way too much on their plate just already. They've got too much on their plate. And so if I were working with you as a client, let's say, one of the first things I do is I get a really good idea of somebody's whole life. What is the state of your financial health? What's the state of your personal relationships? You know, are you fed by the people in your life? Do you have good people supporting you? What is the state of your business? What's the state of your office? Do you like where you work? Do you like the spaces that you write in or work in or, you know, take phone calls in? What's the state of your home? And I would really do a full assessment. And I think that's where people can start is to really pick the one thing. I used to always do this as a coach. I started by having people make a list of their top 10 energy drains. And I think this is a good place to start. If you just sit down and ask yourself, okay, what are the, let's just say five things that are really draining my energy right now. So I'll be honest, I'll look at, and I'll say to you, this is the truth for me. If I asked myself that question right now, I'd say, the desk in my office is more cluttered than I'd like, and I'd like to get it ordered because I know when it's ordered, I feel better and I work better. I didn't know I'd invited you into my office. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, then the second thing I would say is I have too many emails to respond to, and I feel the pull, the energetic pull of those emails, and I need to set aside some consistent, uninterrupted time where I can just go through and respond to them or delegate them out to my assistant. I would sit down and I would look at that. If you're somebody who's struggling financially, let's say, and you're really worried about how you're going to pay the next bill, well, then that's a huge energy drain that needs to go on the list. And you probably need to be looking for a job to support you while you're building your business, let's say. So making a list of the top five things that are draining your energy is really important because as you start to handle those things, I actually see these things, Susan, as marketing events. I want you to know that. Whenever I start working with a business owner, I start with the energy drains and I say to them, I promise you, if you begin to tick off these energy drains, if you start handling them, you're creating the space for more business. And I'll give you a great example of how that shows up. If you're somebody, for example, who checks your voicemail, sees that you have seven voicemail messages and thinks to yourself, oh my God, I can't believe the amount of messages I have or the amount of emails I have. We could do that too, right? Mm -hmm. I can't believe the amount of messages I have. Oh, for crying out loud. And if you find yourself feeling irritated at the next call that comes in or the next email that comes in, which I know that feeling, it's like you're sending a message to the universe that says, do me a favor, don't send me any more business because I can't handle what I already have. Now, Very interesting. I've mm. seen this with physical space. I remember working with a lawyer, a local lawyer, walking into his office. He wanted to hire me to help him market his practice. I used to specialize in working with lawyers. And I said to him, great, let's sit down and just do an assessment here. And when I sat down, there were piles of files on the floor around him. His desk was a mess. I mean, I couldn't believe like, 
you know, he was complaining about the number of phone calls he needed to return. I said to him, great, marketing 101. We're going to get the piles cleaned up off the floor. You're going to get your desk cleared. You're going to get your emails handled. And by the way, that means you're not going to take on any additional new business until these things are handled. And of course, he thought I was out of my mind. It's like, I hired you to help me get business. I said, well, that's exactly what we're going to do. We spent the next 30 days with him cleaning the office with his assistant, getting a new filing cabinet, filing everything away, getting his desk cleared, handling all of the you know leftover stuff that he had to handle for clients so that at the end of 30 days, he felt like a new man. And sure enough, one week after the end of that 30 days, he got two new clients and they were really good clients. And it continued like that. So much so to the point where six months, 12 months down the line, anytime he wanted to bring more business in, he stopped and said, okay, what needs to get cleaned up in my life, essentially? And he would start cleaning those things up and saw that as his marketing plan. And it worked every time. And I've seen it work thousands of times. And it certainly worked in my own life. Yeah, I can attest to that as well, because like you, I mean, I've got far too many papers around. And I know as soon as I clear them up, I'm inviting new business in. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of thinking about it as a marketing event, just turning it around and giving it a different title gives it a whole different perspective. And actually, now I might even enjoy clearing those papers up. You know, I want to really emphasize this point. This is not just a nice idea or like a kind of tricky way of thinking about marketing, right? It's not just putting a new label on it. I'm serious. You will find that if you start to handle the things that are overwhelming you, the deadlines that must be met, the priorities that really need to be honored. If you start cleaning things up in your life, you will see evidence of new opportunities, new people, new business, new buyers, whatever it is. You will absolutely see evidence of that happening for you in your life. I remember working with a self-employed woman. She was a fashion consultant and she was had a pretty successful business, but was always looking for new business and worked seven days a week. I said to her, okay, you can't keep working seven days a week. You know, you're supposed to be working to support your life, your business. You're not supposed to be working to support your business. And so I challenged her to schedule one day away from the office every single week. She could financially afford to do it. I said to her, I want you to schedule one day off in your calendar. And I promise you, you're going to start to see your business shift as a result of doing that. And she did that. She took Fridays off the calendar began to take those days to herself. And she started to lose some clients that weren't great clients. They were energy draining clients, but she started to bring on clients that first of all, could easily afford her fee, you know, wanted to spend more money and were really excited and appreciative of the services that she offered. So self-care to me is the most, I mean, it's my fundamental marketing strategy in anything that I do, anything that I do without a doubt. So I know that in your book, The Art of Extreme Care, Transform Your Life One Month at a Time, you talk about a list of no-nos. Can you share some of those with us? I know you sort of intimated some of them along the way, but what are some of the lists that you like to share with people? Yeah. You know, in Take Time for Your Life, I talked about creating an absolute yes list, and that was a list of your top 
five priorities. I think I said seven in that book today, given today's world, I'd say five. Making a list and putting it on an index card of the top five things that are going to get your time and attention. In The Art of Extreme Self-Care, I then created a list of absolute no's. So it's the absolute no list. So for me, absolute no's are things like, I do not bring my telephone or electronics into the bedroom at night, period. I've tested it. It's clear to me. If you use your phone for an alarm, get an alarm clock because sleep is one of the most fundamental marketing strategies we have, good sleep. And having any electronics in the bedroom, I promise you, is interrupting your ability to have good sleep. So that's an absolute no for me. So there's personal and there's professional. I never answer my front door unless I'm expecting somebody. I just don't want to be interrupted. I never have a ringing phone on in my home unless I'm expecting phone calls because a ringing phone is just a tweak to the adrenal system. As soon as it rings, the body jumps into action. Same thing with, you know, my cell phone. I don't have notifications on my phone. You know, I don't have it set up so that I get notified of anything on my phone because it's a distraction and I don't want to be distracted from my life. So when we talk about absolute no's, I don't listen to the critical voice in my head. Now, the truth is I do. I hear it, but I have really cultivated this relationship with an inner ally. And when my critical voice starts telling me, whatever, oh, you're never going to get this, you're never going to get that right, or you're to this, or you're not enough that, or whatever. I just say, stop, 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 stop. You go take a nap. I'm listening to, you know, an inner ally voice. So whatever it is that you no longer want to do, no longer should be doing, in some ways, the absolute no list is like putting boundaries in place that protect your time, your attention, and your energy, because those are the three most valuable things we have. And those are the things that everybody in the world is vying for. I love the idea of the critical voice and talking about that. I've written about it quite a bit. And I love the fact that you mentioned that because I think that often stands in the way for authors of marketing their book because Mm -hmm. of being fearful of being judged or that whole idea of the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Can you address some of that? Well, yeah. I mean, so I've written seven books now. And I would say, as a matter of fact, in the most recent one, which is Waking Up in Winter in Search of What Really Matters at Midlife, that book is very different than my other six books because it's a journal. It's an actual journal that I kept and just edited to be published. So it wasn't a journal I kept. It wasn't a journal I was writing knowing I was going to publish it. It was a journal that had already been written about midlife. And in that book, I share the reality that even as somebody who's had a lot of success and has written a lot of books, of course I still get tweaked by criticism or I still can feel like a fraud in a situation or, I mean, God knows, you know, just the other day I read a review on Amazon about my book that had nothing to do with my book. (laughs) You know, it was a negative review talking about things that I never talked about in my book. And I thought, but the difference is, when we practice better self-care and we really invest in a relationship with ourselves, and that's really what waking up in winter is about, it's, it's basically, instead of saying to my readers, here's what you need to do to improve your life, it's saying, here's what I do to live a life that's conscious and awake and filled with self-care. And by the way, here's also what happens when I fall off the wagon and I have to get back on. 
Because the reality is, you know, we're all human beings and I'm a very sensitive woman, which makes me a great coach, but it also makes me really fall prey to the inner critical voice of both myself and of others. And so it's normal to be worried about that. The good news is that over time, we get better and better at coming back from, you know, the time between me, for example, receiving a piece of criticism, let's say, or being rejected in some way, the time between that happening and me feeling better gets shorter and shorter. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I suffer along less. So we, we come back more quickly with experience and we just need experience in dealing with those things. We have to practice being rejected in order to get over our fear of rejection. We have to practice putting ourselves out there in order to get over our fear of putting ourselves out there. There's no way around that. Well, you can't hire somebody to do it. I mean, that's the other thing authors ask me all the time is, well, I just want to hire somebody to market me or sell my book. It's like, well, good luck with that because I tried it years ago. It doesn't work. And I teach writers all the time about building a multimedia platform. And I've just seen people spend thousands and thousands of dollars because they're just afraid to put themselves out there personally. But you've got to be able to do that. Oh, I love you for that. I mean, first of all, feel the fear and do it anyway. And that whole idea of rebounding. And as you said, it comes sooner once you, you know, you keep doing it. And hey, it's like it happens to all of us. We're all human. Mm -hmm. So we rebound so much more quickly with experience, just with experience, because you realize people's criticism or rejection is never about you. It's really about them. You know, it's about their decision to not partake of whatever it is you're selling, or it's about, I mean, oftentimes nasty feedback or reviews is usually about somebody's unhealed wound that needs some healing. And that's important to remember that it is about them and it isn't about you. And you just happen to be there and they're just pouring it out on you. So sometimes if somebody doesn't like your work, they're entitled to not like your work. And there may be feedback that's legit, But somebody's opinion or commentary on your work or on your business or whatever is just that. It's their commentary. It's not necessarily a reflection of who you are and what you've done. So I want to bring you back quickly to the idea of the fact that you tried having somebody else market your book, because I've had that a lot, that people come to me and say, oh, who do you know who will market my book for me? And I think of it like you've given birth to this baby, and now you're going to give it to somebody else to (laughs) rear. So talk to us a little bit more about that experience. And Well, yeah, because early on, I remember hiring a publicist um, in the hopes that they could market my book. I spent several thousand dollars. She was a lovely woman, but, you know, they can't guarantee anything. And in today's world, publicity with books is really challenging. You have to be on top of what's happening in the news and how your work fits in. And so Whenever we write a book, we are the most passionate about the topic because we just spent months and months, sometimes years, working on this baby, creating this baby, and nobody will ever be able to speak about it like you can. I don't care how passionate they are about you and your work. And, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have like an administrative assistant who can't help set up phone calls or meetings or things like that. But ultimately, we have to be able to represent the work that we've created. And we do our best job at doing that. 
And as I said, I mean, every year I teach a workshop called Speak, Write, Promote. And it's all about becoming a mover and shaker in your industry. And I spend two and a half days just teaching people, both myself and one of my publishers, we just teach people about the fact that you've got to look at your best marketing strategy, the thing that you're excited to do. There's always something we're excited to do. And that's what you want to capitalize on is your favorite way of getting the word out. Not somebody else's right way, but your favorite way of getting the word out is something you'll do consistently. And here's a good example. I love Instagram because it's so simple and I can deal with it on my phone. Every night I post a picture of something beautiful with a list of five things I'm grateful for. And I invite my followers to do the same. And it's easy to do. It takes me two minutes. It's something I really enjoy doing. I look for something pretty to photograph every day or something meaningful. It's really quite simple. And Facebook, you know, I might do a graphic quote or I might do a video. Or, I mean, I like variety. So I'm always looking for new and different things that I can do. I enjoy doing those things. So I do them consistently. I'm not interested in going and doing television anymore, or I'm not interested in setting up a whole online marketing program, let's say. That's not me. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just not what interests me. Mm -hmm. So we have to find what we feel passionate about in terms of the method of marketing. And that's what we really, some people, I have a woman I was just working with who's a really great blog writer. And she started out doing videos and her videos sucked. And I said to her, forget the videos. You're clearly not passionate about it, but you are an awesome blogger and you love it and you're producing blogs left and right. Stay focused on that and build your audience that way. So we have to find the method that works that aligns with our own unique passion. Absolutely. I mean, I love doing these podcasts, for instance, and video, people say, oh, you've got to do video. I'm like, I don't enjoy it. So why would I do it? Because that's obviously going to come over. Yes. So thank you for that. And Cheryl, if our listeners wanted to stay in touch with you, how could they do that? Well, the best thing to do is subscribe to my weekly blog, my weekly newsletter at CherylRichardson.com. I am on Instagram, but I'm on there under Coach on Call. And um, Facebook, I'm you know there under Cheryl Richardson's. And Twitter is Coach on Call as well. So yeah, those are some of the best ways through social media. And if you're subscribed to my weekly newsletter, those are the people that have been in my online family for many, many years. And they're the first to know when I'm coming to their area or what kind of events I'm doing or giveaways that I'm doing, things like that. Super. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well for all our listeners. And if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be, Cheryl? Well, you know, Louise Hay, who I had the honor of writing a book with, said to me once, you will be with you longer than anyone else on the planet. Why not make it a good relationship? And she was in her late 80s when she said that to me. And I would say that to your listeners. You're going to be with you longer than anyone else. You listen to yourself all day long. Let's make it a good relationship. And it begins with your self-care. Just start with the five energy drains and watch the magic that will start to happen in your life. Oh, my goodness. That gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Good. Thank you so much for being a guest. You're so welcome. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to talk to you. Oh, thank you. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. 
and I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded. So visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. Hi, this is Susan again. Over the last couple of weeks, my marketing tips have focused on ideas to make it easier for you to start building your author platform. Today, my marketing tip is about your mindset. Mindset is a way of thinking. Your mindset makes up the beliefs that affect how you think, what you feel, and what you do. In other words, your beliefs shape your attitude, your attitude shapes your thinking, and your thinking shapes your mindset. What all of this means is that your whole approach to your book-based business will expose your mindset, not only to yourself, but to the rest of the world. No pressure. If you use lack of time to do any marketing as an excuse, this exposes your attitude and mindset as lame. It also tells me that you're not really serious about this whole venture. However, I want to believe that's untrue because you're taking the time to listen to this segment, which also tells me that you're interested in learning how to improve your knowledge and skills. The final verdict comes when you take what you learn and actually implement it. My job is to be your guide on the side, but I need your help. You need to seriously want that help and are prepared to roll up your sleeves and do the work. As the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Mindset matters, and it all starts with you, making up your mind that marketing is important enough to carve out time to devote to it. Can you carve out five or even 15 minutes today to do some marketing? You'll be pleased you did.